to another episode of the ABC Music Talk podcast, the podcast for anyone interested in the music industry. Today's guest takes us back into the esoteric world of the law. But first, it's time to remind you to go to your videos. Rota is for artists, managers, labels, or anyone in the music industry who needs to create video content for promotion or monetization. Rota makes it fast, easy, and inexpensive to do all of that in one place. Head to www.abcmusic.co and click the Rota logo on the homepage to access a 10% off discount for the service. Welcome to the show, entertainment lawyer Kamal Moo. Thank you, thank you for having me. Ed, I really appreciate you doing this. Um, this uh, listeners is another one of those ones that we're doing uh, over the wire, so to speak. Uh, Kamal, where are you in the world? I'm in Southern California right now, specifically the Long Beach area. So yeah, LA metro area. Very nice, very nice. So you're just starting your day as I'm just ending my day. That's how that works. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, it's about 10 a.m. over here. Okay, so I, I obviously use the word esoteric, perhaps a little bit tongue-in-cheek uh, with my introduction to you, because of course you are quite the opposite, as we'll discover in this interview. And in fact, the uh, the book that you've written is the straightforward guide to the music business. So less esoteric, more straightforward, right? <laughs> That's the goal, that, to make it accessible to the common person. Yeah, perfect, excellent stuff. And so uh, I think that I mean the, the best place to start um, is obviously kind of how you've molded yourself you know as a as a lawyer uh in the music industry in in that particular guise i think um but it is just worth pointing out that uh, kamal is janet jackson's entertainment lawyer so you know somebody of, of note and capability so i'm really looking forward to hearing your story so where did it all begin then how did how did you end up being this sort of uh, easy to approach and easy to understand lawyer well it's funny uh when i was a kid i wanted to actually be a music producer i was grew, i grew up in miami um, and then I went to USC, University of Southern California for college, and then I got my music industry degree. Um, and then I went to law school here in LA as well, Southwestern Law School, which has a great entertainment program. Um, graduated, passed the bar exam, and then um, you know I, I worked for a venture capital firm for about a year, and then that company went under, and then my brother's band ended up getting offered a record deal. Uh, they were really gig, they got really big on MySpace. They put out, they were a screaming rock band. They put out a uh, cover of a hip-hop song, a, a screamo version, and they were getting 50,000 plays a day, and things were just really taking off for them, and they needed a manager, so I started managing them, and in fact, MySpace thought they were faking the plays with bots or something, and they kept on deleting the page, so um, they were going to give up, and I said, you know, you need someone to step in here and help you guys, because you can't give up on this, this is lightning in a bottle, so I started managing them, uh, they got offered the record deal, they signed it, they uh, did an album, they went on tour, went on Warp Tour, I went on a few tours with them as well. So my real um, start in the music business was as a manager, uh, and I managed a bunch of other bands and acts uh, over the years. Uh, I kind of stopped doing management full-time around 2010 when I opened my law practice with a partner. Um, 2013 or so, my partner actually left law altogether, so I went solo. And uh, yeah, I've had my own law practice ever since, and uh, just been building from there. What was the name of your brother's band? Uh, the band was called I Set My Friends on Fire. <laughs> that's, a, that's a hell of a name. That's a hell it's of a very name. catchy. It or is. Isamfa for short. <laughs> very cool. Very cool indeed. Um, good. Okay, so... And, and the book is a, it's, it's a bit of a sort of a byproduct of, you know, how, how you sort of came... I mean, how did, you, how, how did you come to write this book in, in the way that you have done? For me, I realized that uh, a lot of my clients just ask the same questions over and over again, uh, or even prospective clients. They'd ask about copyright and contracts, and I felt like 
half my time was spent explaining these concepts to people. So I said, you know what, there's, there's a need for this knowledge out there. Uh, there's some great books out there about the music industry, but a lot of them are pretty like thick. They're like 500 pages long. My book's less than 100 pages. You could read it in a day. Uh, I tried to keep it as short as possible. And uh, I wrote it really quickly, actually, because I've explained these concepts hundreds of times. So I, I've gotten it down to sort of a bare bones, you know, um, straightforward explanation. And that was the motivation. I think there's just a need out there for people who just uh, want like a nice reference guide that's not too daunting. Um, you know, most musicians I know and, you know, a 19 year old kid is not going to sit down and read a 500 page book just to teach himself the music industry. So I wanted something that's more accessible for just, you know, the regular musician. I've said on this podcast before um, that I, uh, I, when I was at university, that the, the pretty much the only book that was really available at the time was the, the Donald S. Passman, Everything You Need to Know About the Music Industry. That was not a quick read, um, but uh, but ultimately, you know, it was what we had available at the time. So uh, uh, the next uh, group of uh, executives that want their start in the music industry can now read yours and have an easier go of it than I did, which is great. <laughs> <laughs> that's the hope right i mean the yeah. past the passman book is excellent has a lot of great information but as i said it's a little bit hard to access in terms of just you know diving into it um so yeah i, I can see it. it's pretty it's a, it's quite a bit yeah absolutely and and of course i'll be putting um putting links to uh to, to the book uh on in the show notes for for listeners um and so with the book i mean what, what are i mean you, you you mentioned a few things there but what, what are your sort of like the highlights or you know like the focus for the chapters like how, how did you kind of construct it how did you think of it I just uh, wrote the book like I was having a conversation with a client. Um, the, each each chapter title is just a question, and I spend the rest of the chapter answering that question. For example, the first chapter is, I realized you know, I can make money for my music, now what? And then I go into copyright law and how to protect yourself. And you know, one of the chapters is, uh, I just got offered a record deal, now what? And then I go into what, uh, is the usual, what are the usual components of a record deal. Um, so you know, that's sort of how it's structured in just a really conversational sort of way. I think we, when we talked before, the, before uh, we started recording um, in our prep call, um, we were going to sort of focus on like, the, the idea of like, why, why do a deal in the first place, right? As, a sort of, as an artist, from the artist's point of view. And so it's, that's really kind of the bit before the lawyers get involved, right? In some, in some respects, it's like, why, why do I want to do this deal? What do you sort of think about, you know, what, what should people consider when they're looking at recording deals, publishing deals, or naming rights deals? Like, what, what are the sorts of like, early bits of advice you might give to someone? Uh, the one thing I tell all my clients as a threshold question is consider the people you're working with that you're thinking of working with. Look at their reputation. Look at their level of enthusiasm. Um, you know, are they going to follow through? Are they making promises that you believe they can keep? Um, I've definitely been in situations where artists will sort of talk themselves into signing with a label, even though something felt wrong or it didn't seem like a good fit. Um, you know, one exa one example was I had an independent artist who um, she had a, she got offered a record deal from an independent record label. The contract was excellent, great numbers, uh, but when she signed the deal, nothing happened for two years then she just sat around um so that's what it's about i think that's the real just basic threshold question you know do you believe that they can deliver on their promises and what's their reputation um so i think that's the first thing you really need to look at when considering any contract so sort of focus on the on the human side of the relationship rather than the kind of the nuts and bolts of it Right. I mean, just because you sign with a label doesn't mean your career is going to take off. I mean, there's lots of people on major labels who don't go anywhere. Um, and it's all about, yeah, just finding the right fits and the level of enthusiasm and them understanding your vision. Um, so, yeah, that's that's all it's all trick. And it's just the intangible stuff. You can't really quantify exactly 
um, what feels right, but it's a, it's a gut thing. Um, so that's one thing I tell my clients. Um, I always liken it to dating. You know, if you start dating somebody and uh, you start to see a red flag, you don't want to ignore that red flag because they don't tend to improve over time. So you need to really, uh, you know, with a cold, you know, sort of eye of reality, look at the situation and see if it makes sense for you. And, and are you still finding that, uh, you know, for recording artists that they're, they're very much looking for that record deal with that advance so that they can kind of have a team of people to take care of a lot of the, the nuts and bolts of, of, of the, the business side rather than them having to understand it? Or, or are you seeing more of a trend towards, okay, I'm now looking at these label services companies and, you know, maybe there's an advance again, right? So they can kind of facilitate some of the digital marketing. I mean, where, where are you sort of seeing people sort of lean towards at, at that sort of earlier stage in their career? It really goes either way. Uh, I have a client who he's got his own record label. He's a singer, songwriter, producer. He does everything himself and he likes doing it that way. He likes the independence. I have other clients who, you know, they sort of rely on their label heavily and their publisher. Um, so it really depends on the, um, the artist and their sort of level of aptitude. Some people, as you mentioned, just don't want to deal with the business side. They just want someone else to take care of it for them. Uh, others are just very hands-on um, and want to have, you know, control everything. I think that to the extent possible, uh, uh, an artist should be a good business person they should at least you know have a basic understanding of business and um what it'll take for them to um to, to succeed i think that you know just understand basic budgeting um and just how to put together a proper marketing campaign that stuff is just you know good good information to have i mean and, and that's why i think you know my book is helpful because you don't need to become an expert in, in music law but it's helpful to know the basics because then at least you know what's going on and i think then at least you can make better decisions so yeah, you know it, it's I, all over the place honestly yeah and no, i i absolutely agree I'm, work, I'm working on a project at the moment with a, an artist called afghan and he uh, you know he, he's got his label out in indonesia which is you know where he's where he's from and he's working with with empire one of, one of the other clients that I, that I work with and so technically there's two labels involved with this but he is still incredibly hands-on you know he is on every phone call that we have every week talking about the marketing and activations and where, where we might spend some money and you know his and and i think that he's really he's getting much more out of the process uh you know for, for this record than perhaps he might have done before and uh, and the results have been amazing so yeah i, I would absolutely agree with you that uh, having that awareness as as the artist you know about what's actually going on and knowing the questions to ask is is really fundamental and and so like kind of the same question but the other way around like with, with bigger artists like i mean obviously we've mentioned janet jackson but i don't know whether you, you work with any others that are now looking at that that idea of perhaps having a bit more control having a bit more of the ownership whether that's literal rights ownership or or just control over the the you know the output of of their music and where it, you know how it looks and feels and sounds i mean are you, are you seeing much more of that happening these days with janet especially i mean she's at the point in her career where you know the labels will sort of let her do what she wants to do for the most part i mean you know she's earned that right she they know that she understands her audience better than they do um so when she's looking at doing a distribution deal because she owns her own record label and she controls her own publishing so when she's looking to do a distribution deal especially you know she'll you know a lot of it times it's just kind of hands off in terms of creative um aspect um when you're starting out when you're a younger artist it's harder to get that obviously because the label's not going to trust you as much um but the one exception is if you're 
if you've built something on your own and you've really taken off, um, like Chance the Rapper, you know, he's he's built a whole kind of mini empire himself because he really understood his audience and he really built it, um, you know, in a way that makes sense. So if he ever does want to do, you know, an exclusive deal with the label, I think they would trust him more creatively speaking. So, you know, it's always this kind of the, you know, struggle back and forth. If you're unproven, they're going to want to give you their two cents. But the more you've proven yourself is the more kind of leeway they'll give you, a, you know, in my opinion anyway. Yeah, sure. And we've we've mentioned sort of the the money aspect a couple of times, uh, or at least I have. And, uh, you know, I I feel like that's, you're going back to that kind of, you know, why do the deal? I think, I think, certainly from my experience, having typically been on the distribution side, distribution companies were very much looked at, not not just because of the service that they provided, i.e. the the delivery of the of the assets to a to a DSP, but they were very much being looked at for that marketing support, which typically also meant, can I get some money, um, you know, as well. And and so, and these days, there, there seems to be a, you know, a variety of different ways of, of you know, of, of accessing cash flow. And I was just wondering, like, I mean, we have to talk about it because, it, so this is, um, we're recording this at the end of March in 2021, and we've just come off of a four to six week period of people talking about nothing but NFTs at the moment. And uh, my, my favorite thing to talk about there is actually on the DeFi side of things. Uh, so the decentralized finance where you're accessing the liquidity within the crypto currency market and and actually you know attaching that into a, an nft so that that nft you know represents a locked value into a vault that then cash can come back out to, to the to the artist or the record label or to who, whoever you know has, has arranged that and there's some really interesting sort of projects that that are happening on that side and of course then the other side of it is this sort of collectibles marketplace drops all that you know almost like digital merchandise in some respects um have you have you spent any time kind of looking at that specific nft thing or not or <laughs> i guess yeah i've i've sort of had to lately i've had i've had clients come to me in the last few weeks like you mentioned uh sort of wanting to get into it and i'm sort of you know, trying to figure it out myself i mean i i don't i'm starting to kind of wrap my head around it i'm I, i'm looking at it sort of like um uh, like uh, trading cards, like basketball or, you know, baseball cards from back in the day. It's just, it's digital, right? Um, and so I'm trying to, like, for example, I have some clients who want to release uh, music content um, via NFTs. But then, of course, they're signed to a label. So the label has rights in that recording. And then how do you do that? How do you structure that deal? Um, so it's it's trying to, you know, so I'm telling them for now, hey, you know, maybe stay away from that for the time being till we figure that out. And then just release maybe images of yourself or other things like that, you know. Um, so it's it's definitely an interesting area um, to see. And and even I have a, I have a client who wants to set up, an, set up an NFT company with some partners and they're working on that. And they're talking about getting paid with Ethereum and all these different things and in the crypto wallets and i'm like what is this <laughs> so i had to sort of start learning about how th this world is structured so it's, it's pretty fascinating i don't know where it's going to go obviously nobody does but um there's obviously a lot of money swirling around it at the moment so it's pretty intriguing yeah all right okay well I, we we don't need to sort of go too much more into it i don't think at the moment but um the one thing that i do want to just say purely because i'm talking to a lawyer is of course um they talk about smart contracts um which are you know essentially just computer code that automatically does something but um i've seen a couple of articles where they've talked about you know could this replace lawyers in the future as a lawyer <laughs> when you started to hear the, the term smart contracts how worried were you 
Not very. I mean, honestly, <laughs> no two record deals are the same. I mean, yeah, you can a label can have their standard contract, but there's always room for negotiation. You have to get really creative to um, sometimes put together a deal that makes sense, um, you know, and try and build in certain benchmarks or triggers for certain certain things to happen. So, I mean, in the foreseeable future, I'm not too worried, but who knows? I mean, once they get the AI going, who knows? They'll have some, uh, you know, genius um, <laughs> genius program that can just do it. But uh, I think for now, it's going to be, uh, you know, I think the thing I have some job security for now yeah no i think i think that's right i think that um you know that really they're they're perhaps just bringing some level of, of, of efficiency into certain aspects of it um I, you know i think that the whole music industry has got an awful lot of learning uh, to you know to, to happen and to go on here i mean i you know I, I have spent like you some time looking at this um i, I have a slightly longer set of experience of, of spending time in this space but you know, I really like some of the innovation that we're starting to see really almost like kind of almost away from the blockchain with the the, the layer two concepts. And um, I just think that the creativity that we, where we're seeing this sort of continued interaction between technology and music, which, of course, you know, has long been whether that was, you know, the, the creation of, you know, certain types of instruments that helped us get into this sort of digital version of music. Uh, I, I just think that it is a very exciting space. None of it's settled down yet. And certainly from a legal point of view, I know that I, I, the, a few people have said, you know, in, in the trade press that this is this is something that hasn't been figured out yet. Like, you don't know what this is going to look like. Um, and so right. do be a little bit careful about what you're perhaps doing or over-promising. But, you know, at the same time, innovation is has always been there to sort of you know, break some of the rules and break some of the status quo and, and, and move it on. So I think I think probably most people are taking a similar sort of view of it as you are and just kind of going, you know, get get involved as much as you like. Be, be a little bit careful because you, you don't right. want to upset something that you can probably avoid, like putting an album out in a different format, that essentially a different format, I guess, um, although it's technically would be streaming of some description just on an exchange rather than Spotify, I guess. But, you right. know, it, yeah, that would upset your record company. They, they wouldn't be very happy about that because it's direct cannibalization of something that they have done for you and they've probably given you an advance for and therefore they want to recoup on that. And if you're sending all of your fans somewhere else, they're not going to be very happy about that. Uh, so Exactly. Yeah, That's what I'm warning them about. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm. I'm sure. I'm sure. It's. It's like. I think it's a. It's a. It's a fascinating uh, development that that we're seeing. But it's a long way from being uh, a really fundamental part of the day to day. I think. Maybe I'll prove, be, be, be I, wrong in the short term. <laughs> it's moving pretty quick. I, I think that you know one one app one area that's going to be really interesting is that you know concert tickets plane tickets, stuff like that, because that is great because you can't scalp those anymore. You know, those it's blockchain, so it, all the tickets are trackable. And, you know, I think that that'll be a really useful application to prevent, uh, you know, fraud and other issues in that area. So that, uh, as, as a purely utilitarian concept, I think that that would really, you know, we would probably move to that pretty quickly, I would think. Well, well, well this is this is the other thing. It's like there, there's been a lot of noise made about the kind of fiat con currency conversion of these nfts so they talk about how much in like us typically us dollar amounts that have been made from the sale of something now if having listened to a lot of podcasts and read a lot of blogs on 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 this you know, often people aren't thinking about how they can back that money into a, a fiat currency all the time yes it gets right. talked about of course it does but they there's a there's a gen, genuine belief that the whole point of this is that there is this other way of transacting with each other. And so the concept of tokenization 
I think you're right with the tickets that, I mean, you could have a, a completely, you know, reward based system, you know, as a fan, you could do certain things like be part of a street team where you could earn credits that could give you either a discount on a ticket um, or, you know, the, the ticket itself or, you know, front row seats or whatever it might be. Um, and, and, and all of that is, you know, it's, it, uh, it sits away from that, the kind of the actual money side of it. Yeah, I think the tickets is a good call. I think I can see that. I can see that being a pr pretty important. Very good. Okay, I think we've done NFTs to death, haven't we? <laughs> Not quite. It's a big topic, so yeah, it makes it's, sense. It's a bit. Look, we, you and I are going to be talking about this to people for a long time to come. I can, I can, I can absolutely see that. Um, it, it is very interesting. It's very exciting, I think. Okay, so just sort of going back to, I guess, the sort of more traditional view on things. As a lawyer, what, what do you think makes a good lawyer? Like, what, like you've written this like a way of explaining it to the to, to the layman and that that is a trait in itself as to who you are as a lawyer right you ha you have this I, I i assume because you've written the book that way wish to educate people whereas i think a lot of people kind of to my tongue-in-cheek introduction which is the the law has often been deemed something of uh, something so esoteric that only a certain you know subset of the human race could ever understand it i mean is is it is it a good lawyer somewhere in between or like how would you how would you see it um the one thing that i've noticed with a lot of my clients is they don't just want a lawyer they want a friend who happens to be a lawyer right. and that's, <laughs> that's sort of what i, what I that's kind of the area i fall into i noticed uh because they call me up and they just ask me and i explain things in a plain way and they really appreciate that I, i've had a lot of clients come to me and say oh my last lawyer talked down to me and made me feel like an idiot and i said look i'll never do that to you this stuff isn't rocket science it gets a little bit complicated but any complex um, subject, I think, can be made simple, um, just just in for, purpose, for purposes of communication. And I think, you know, a good lawyer is sort of a teacher as well. I, I want my clients to understand what they're getting into. These contracts affect their lives for years. So, you know, good deal, bad deal. I want them to understand at least what they're signing so that they're not surprised later. Um, I think there's a fair amount of ego as well. There's some lawyers who just sort of have... Um, you know, the, the, their, their sense of self-worth is kind of tied up in their profession and they sort of um, have to kind of throw their weight around. And it, it's just the whole thing. But I'm not that way. I'm a very humble person. I don't, uh, you know, I, I, have, I have a belief that uh, the moment you start to think you're a big shot is the same moment you start to destroy yourself. Um, because, you know, I think that people need to realize all this can go away tomorrow. You know, Janet Jackson could fire me tomorrow. You know, it doesn't, you know, nothing is promised, right? So um, it, it's, you have to really be, be stay grounded and grateful for what you get and to be able to continue to do it, to do it. Um, so, you know, that's just sort of my approach to life in general and just the way I approach my business. Yeah, no, that 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 is uh, that's really sage advice. I think for for anyone listening, we we saw we sort of talked about that kind of concept on this podcast before, where we've you know we've talked about how people identify with certain companies, for example, and you and you become almost like a byproduct of that company. And I guess in a in a lawyer's sense, you know, you could be you you could become so aligned with certain clients that you're known like that. But as you just said, like they they. You know they could let you go tomorrow and then and then who who are you you are nothing more right. than your your sort of your experience and your network and and your reputation uh so right. yeah yeah re retaining that is uh is is very very key i think and so like to me this sounds like you've had in your career some some pretty incredible mentors i mean who are the people that you think have really started who, who really influenced that type of um attitude and approach to to who you are today I think, I mean, 
my family definitely my my mom especially she's definitely the kind of person who always taught us to be respectful of other people and and not think that you're better than anybody else because it's interesting so my my parents my mom grew up very poor my dad grew up very you know privileged and and his family was pretty wealthy so when they got married it was kind of interesting intersection because i saw how my dad's side of the family how they kind of related to each other it wasn't it was kind of kind of cold a little bit and not as because you know there's money involved and there's different politics there whereas my mom's family being very poor they just didn't it wasn't a thing they were just they always there for each other and there was a lot of love and and that so it was a really interesting intersection for me because i got the sort of humanity from my mom's side and sort of the advantages from my dad's side because i went to private school my whole life and all these things so um i think definitely it was an interesting to, to see both sides of the coin basically and but definitely personality was i'm more like my mother and her family than my dad's side uh, right, got it, got it. And uh, and and in terms of sort of like uh, any any lawyers that you have been schooled by or, or anything like that, were there any that that stood out to you that you felt like this is you know these were good people to be, or maybe just people you sat on the opposite side of the table from, right? You know, you've been negotiating, you've been thinking that's a good style. I'm going to adopt that. Like ha- any anyone like that? Yeah, when I was uh, an intern in college, I uh, interned at BMG Music Publishing, and the the president of the company was a lawyer, and uh, he kind of took the time to sort of, you know, give me some just kind of breakdown of how the industry is, and and you know, he actually started off as a criminal defense attorney because he couldn't find oh, any wow. other job out of law school, and then he sort of told me his journey, and then it was really interesting, and he and he kept on telling me, look, if you want to make it, just go to law school because you know that'll always give you the tools that you need to sort of succeed in life, even if you don't work in the music business, it's always a good uh, degree to have. And uh, yeah, he just gave me a lot of good advice like that. Just you know, kind of kept me on track, and you know, because I was kind of iffy about going to law school anyway. And then um, he was just like, "No, no, you got to go." And uh, so I was really grateful for that. Um, you know, I've, I haven't talked to him in years, but it was at the time when I was interning for him. It was really um, you know, and he was like you know the head of a big company, big, like the third music publisher in the world. But he took the time to talk to me, and I really appreciated that. Um, so yeah, he was he was a big influence as well. Yeah, uh, that's great. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, the, these these characters, these people that that can really sort of help shape your career. I, I think I, I was sort of asked those types of questions because for me, that was, it was certainly my early career and, and still ongoing now. That was where I did most of my learning. It was it was sitting and listening to, to what they had to say, whether or not you agreed all the time or whether or not you, you did exactly as they said or, or whatever it might be. That wasn't really the point. It was more that you you just listened to their experience or what, whatever information they wanted to impart to you so that you could then make your own decision based on that information. Oh, definitely. I, I think it's important to have just good people in your life and um, people who are supportive and, and help willing to at least mentor you. I remember in law school, I was just grateful when anybody was willing to talk to me. I just, you know, I'd reach out to attorneys. And so now when um, anybody, you know, any law student or any young lawyer reaches out to me, I always talk to them. I mean, and I'll get a couple inquiries a week and I'll still spend, take some time and, and schedule a call and always talk to them because I like to pay it forward. I think it's just, you know, it's good karma and I think it's just the right thing to do. Yeah, for sure. And, and just going back to the book, I mean, you know, typically people will will write these things and they'll do sort of later editions and things like that. It, when you when you wrote it, did you have any sort of under uh, understanding of book publishing? Maybe for one question, but also like, was it to, for you that the beginning of something else, like a, another part of your your professional character? Or I... maybe I mean, it's funny because I've always been a really strong writer. Um, I actually wrote and produced a small indie comedy horror film a few years ago. Oh, right, so, right. And, and I've actually co-written a few that are 
kind of moving along the pipeline right now. I have a couple of producers who picked them up. So I, I have a strong writing background as well. That's always, ever since I was a kid, my mom said that um, I always got really good grades in English and composition. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it was a natural fit for me. I think I'm very comfortable expressing myself in writing. And so this book, I mean, it just came out really quickly. I mean, I wrote it in a matter of weeks, honestly, like maybe a month, uh, just because I, it was, I was very comfortable with the subject and it just kind of flowed. Um, and, you know, I definitely like to do more editions in the future. There are definitely some open questions left in the book. For example, I talk about the MLC, the Music Licensing Collective that just uh, launched in January. Yes. And when the book came out, it hadn't launched yet officially. So now that there's more, you know, it's actually an ongoing concern. It's uh, maybe towards the end of this year, or maybe next year, I'd put out a different and uh, updated edition with, you know, some comments on that. So, I mean, I'm hoping to release, you know, subsequent editions down the road for sure. Yeah. And I'm sure you'll have to uh, include a a, a section on NFTs is comfort as well. Right, of course. <laughs> well, <laughs> the minefield that are, is it, that's NFTs. Well, I know. Well, just, you know what, like any, anything that, that shapes and changes our industry, you know, like the, these these can often become, you know, really central to to the day-to-day -day and quite quite quickly as well. I, I Certainly that's been my experience, you know, sort of having, I suppose, stayed closer to the technology side than, than not. But uh, yeah, very, very interesting. So we've got oh, through this, go on, yeah. Uh, I, I went, and to your point too, um, regarding the book, um, I'm also a adjunct professor at my old law school right now. So I'm teaching the music publishing course. So oh. I, I definitely love the academic side of, of just the industry as well. I love teaching, I love passing on knowledge. And like you said, there's just so much, it kind of forces me to learn about NFTs and things like that because my, my students ask about it. So yeah, I know I really enjoy that part. So I'm hoping as I get older, I'll do more and more, um, you know, uh, things in that space. So, you know, just to kind of add on to what I said before. No, that's really interesting, actually. So the, the degree that I did, which was a, one of the first music industry uh, degrees in, in the UK, just had been invented. It was a, a, essentially a business degree, but they kind of put more focus on music industry. So we had lots of lecturers that were music industry lawyers or promoters or whatever whatever it was. And I remember the, the guy that ran the uh, the course, he, he'd written a book. Um, that was then used as the uh, the textbook for the course, which I thought was excellent. I mean, talk about captive audience for your, right. <laughs> for your book sales. So, I mean, have you have you been have you have you did you give the book to your students, or do you encourage them to buy it, or like how does that work? I did tell them about it. There's a there is a textbook that I do use, but I think I'm in the future. I might actually, if I do teach again this class, I, I'm, I'll kind of have them get it. To me, it's only 15 bucks, and I think it has a lot of good information for them just to have in general. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I've heard of a lot of professors doing that. It's like, oh, you have to buy a buy book for the course, and that's uh, you know that that's a smart idea for sure. And there's actually a professor uh, in uh, Florida who teaches at uh, Florida International University. He he interviewed me for his podcast, and he's actually using my book as his textbook, one of his textbooks for his class, and I just did a uh, um, you know kind of a guest lecture over zoom yesterday to his class and uh, they really enjoyed the book which was really flattering to me so uh, I had my PR guy sort of reach out to other uh, you know professors across the country and see if they might be interested in adding it to their curriculum so we'll see what happens nice yeah now that's 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 really neat and and so and is it sort of available sort of you know sort of general commercial you know do bookshops even exist anymore in, in the US they barely barely do over here which is such a shame but um, I know I, I miss I miss going to the bookstore I, I don't know if you, have you been to you've been to LA right or, or yeah no? I have yeah yeah you know the Grove um, over here like there's a huge Barnes and Noble there that's like three floors and I used to love going there and just hanging out and just looking at all the books and uh, no unfortunately my mine isn't in physical bookshops but it's on amazon so that's where the you know the vast majority of sales are coming from but a lot of people internationally are buying it i have a lot of sales in the uk 
a lot of people in India, you know, I didn't realize, but huh. uh, it's just uh, in Australia and, and um, you know, mo- you know, most of them been in the U.S., um, but, you know, it's sort of internationally people are picking it up. So I was you know, kind of surprised by that. You know, why not? I mean, I, I've, I've talked about this this podcast. I mean, it's um, I think it's in but I've got listeners in 60 different countries, which I just, wow. you know, it, it's I find that amazing. I don't I don't know how they found it. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's clearly, you know, it's clearly, clearly uh, of interest to all, all of these subject matters, uh, which is great. You know, I, I really, really appreciate that. As Congratulations. As clearly, yeah, clearly that's huge. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it was de- it was definitely never by design. But I guess it's just if, if you're interested in a subject and there's not so many of these types of podcasts i don't think um then uh then i guess you just come across it and and if you like the, the way they sound or the way you know then uh you're just going to tune into them but yeah no it's good 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 um so uh we've got through this really quickly have you got any like closing thought uh no i, I just tell people you know um you know the old saying knowledge is power i think that it's really uh, a good idea to educate yourself and if people are listening to this podcast i'm sure in, like you said that they're interested in the industry um i just think the more information the better um, and I think that, you know, that's why I try and do, I mean, that's why I teach my class at Southwestern law school. That's why I put out this book. I like to put knowledge out there. I think having been an artist manager as well as a lawyer sort of, you know, made me an advocate for the artists, you know, cause when I, of course, as a manager, I have to fight for my artists sometimes and really try and help build their careers. And I really enjoy that aspect of it. So, um, part of that was educating them. And so, uh, I'm trying to continue that, I think with, you know, my efforts and, uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully people uh, get something out of it. Really, really good. Thank you very much. And thank you for coming on the show. Uh, really appreciate you doing that and, uh, and good luck with the book. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate being here. And, uh, you know, I like talking to good people like you and, you know, I, I really respect what you're doing. I, I know <laughs> podcasts are tough and the fact that you have such a huge listenership, it's, it's impressive. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Good. Okay. So, uh, so to my listeners, thank you for listening. Uh, stay in touch with the show via my socials, which is at Alex Branson on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, also a shout out to the incredible audio assassins who have provided the music branding for the show. Link in the show notes. Thank you once again, Kamal. Thank you.